many believers follow King David's example and stop serving in their golden years. But the Christian life doesn't come with a retirement plan. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the story of King David, now a senior, wanting to live a life of leisure instead of obedience. To share the vital lesson David learned, here's Dr. Jeremiah with the conclusion of his message, Counting Noses. And thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Before we get into our discussion of today's lesson, I want to remind you that uh, we're coming to Charleston, South Carolina on October the 6th and the 7th. And I'll be presenting messages there uh, from a new project that we are just finishing. We'll be live from the North Charleston Coliseum, a live arena event, and we'll be there for two days. Two incredible days of inspirational teaching and motivation and music and fellowship. And uh, to find out more about this, go to davidjeremiah.org to find out about tickets and special guests and all the rest. We are filling up the rooms in Israel very quickly. If you plan to go with us when we go to Israel in March, we encourage you to get your reservation in as soon as possible. The dates are March 12th through the 22nd, an extended tour of Israel, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, Masada, all of the sites around Jerusalem, an incredible time together with God's people, and uh, I hope you can come and be with us. Well, it's time for us to get started with today's teaching, so here we are uh, in the middle of this discussion of David's counting noses and what we learn from experience that he had both good and bad. Here it is. Sad is the man who has gathered around him good people to help him see his faults and his potential error. And then when those good people speak up, he ignores their counsel. In essence, what this teaches us is that David had set himself up to be accountable to no one. And therefore, when danger lurked and he was warned against it, He was in such a place of power that he could do nothing about it. Well, the consequences that fell upon Israel are recorded for us in verses 7 through 14, and this surely is a strange set of events. The Bible says that God was displeased with this thing, and he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I've sinned greatly because I've done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spoke unto Gad, who was the prophet. He was Nathan's successor, if you want to think of it that way. Nathan came before Gad. Gad followed Nathan as the prophet to David. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's prophet, saying, Go and tell David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, choose thee, three years of famine, three months to be destroyed before your enemies, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Choose what I shall do unto you, and tell me so I can go back and give a report. I thought as I read this, I have always hated multiple choice tests. You know, I have, and you know, as far as I know, this is the only place in the Bible where God gave anyone a a multiple choice test as to their punishment. You got three things you can do, David, and you can choose which one you want. It's interesting that God would do this, and more than one writer has discussed this whole concept of the multiple choice sin test. David honestly confesses his sin before the Lord, and then he's given these options. 
One man that I read said that God, in fact, it was Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said God did this for four reasons. One, to humble David for his sin. For he not only had to look at one penalty, he had to look at all of the penalties that God thought would be just in dealing with what David had done. Now you look at that list, and those are some awesome things. I mean, to be defeated by all your enemies for a period of time. All three of those things, any one of which would be frightening, but God said any one of these things would be just due for what you did, David. You need to realize how sinful this has been in my eyes. Secondly, Henry says that God did it to punish him for his pride. God said, in essence, to David, you want to make all the decisions? You want to do stuff without asking me? All right, I'll give you a decision to make. Here's three things. Choose which one you want. Thirdly, Matthew Henry said he did it to help him endure the punishment since when he got in the midst of it, he would have to remember that it was his own choice. Sort of like what happens when we punish our children. Have you ever asked your teenager when they haven't gotten home on time or haven't done something else that you've asked them to do, what do you think we should do about this? And usually they will think for a while and they may even come up with something more stringent than what you had thought. And once they are under the punishment that they have designed, they have to close their mouths for any complaining because they're the ones that came up with the idea. The fourth thing is, this whole concept would once again try David's heart and make him consider what he had done. And when David selected the third punishment, I believe it was providential. You know why? For two reasons. First of all, his sin had been public in numbering the people, and now the punishment was going to be public. And secondly, think of this for a moment. His sin was pride, the pride of numbering the people. And now God was going to fix it so he didn't have as many people to number as he used to. He subtracted 70,000 from the number through the pestilence. God has an uncanny way of coming right at the core of what we do. And even in the punishment, making us remember the sin that we've been involved in so we can learn and profit from it. That brings us to number four, the confession that saved Israel. Notice verses 15 through 17. The Bible says that the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel. There fell of Israel 70,000 men. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, and he was destroying. And the Lord beheld, and he repented of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. David finally comes to grips again with the magnitude of what he has done. And the scripture says that he confessed his sin. Please note the progress that David is making in his analysis of his own conduct. In verse 17, at the end of the verse, he says, I pray thee, O Lord my God, let this be on me and on my father's house, but not on, and we would expect to think, to find there the words my, but not on my people, but the word is, but not on thy people. When he numbered the people, he considered them his own, but now through the penalty that he's experiencing and the pain of watching God take the lives of people he loved, he realizes that part of his sin is the sin of a pronoun. 
There are a lot of sins in the pronouns these days when people have been blessed of God and all of a sudden at the zenith of their blessing they forget that from which they have been taken themselves and they forget the source of their own blessing. I am always embarrassed when I'm with pastors and they talk about my church and my people and these are my ministries. God for, forgive us when we slip up and say that. It sometimes comes about because we identify ourselves so much with the work of our lives that it's hard to separate the two. But it's good for us to remember that the work of God that he has put into our hands as spiritual leaders is not our work. We started a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana from, as you know, just a group of seven families and saw that thing explode in just a few years. And when we were considering coming here, we heard people say, well, if Jeremiah ever leaves that church, the thing will fold up. And you know what? When I left, it got bigger. I got out of the way and God really blessed it. You know what? You know how important I am to the work of God? Let me tell you. You put your finger in a bucket of water and pull it out and the vacancy you leave is how important you are. And I'm not saying that to be falsely humble. I'm just saying when we get caught up in the pronoun, we are in danger. And that's what caused David's fall in the first place. It's interesting to see he's making progress. He switched from my to thy. Good word, David. Secondly, I want you to notice that the prayer that David offered came about when God viewed something on earth. It's interesting in, this, in the 15th verse that the Lord looked down and he saw what was going on on the earth. And you know what God saw? You have to put verses 15 and 16 together. God had split vision, I'm sure of it. It's like a split screen. Over here, he saw the angel of the Lord on the floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, with his sword drawn, ready to go and attack Jerusalem one side of the screen. Over on the other side of the screen is David and the elders dressed in sackcloth and ashes on their faces before God, confessing their sin and crying out, oh God, forgive us. And when God saw that, the scripture says it repented him and he stayed the action. He told the angel of the Lord, that's enough. Stop. Sometimes we can short circuit God's judgment when we really get serious about confession. You know that? And David confessed. Well, the rest of the chapter is quite interesting, and I wish we had time to read every word of it, but we don't. Let me just explain to you what happened. When David came to grips with his sin, God told him through the prophet that he was to go to the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite and buy a place where he could build an altar unto the Lord. And the scripture says David went and he asked Ornan, if he could buy a piece of ground uh, so that he could build an altar unto the Lord. And you know the story. Ornan said, listen, you're the king. I don't want you to buy it from me. I'll just give it to you. And you can have these oxen and this yoke. You can have it all, David. It's all yours. And David made one of the most profound statements that he ever made in his whole life. When he said, I believe it's verse 24. David said, I will verily buy it for the full price. I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. And 2 Samuel 24 says it this way. I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I wish I could just stop here and preach a whole message on that one concept. How guilty we are as God's people of throwing him the scraps from the table and giving him the tips and the leftovers and the tired moments and the pennies that are left after we have consumed our salaries on ourselves, we get to God with what's left. 
David understood that true worship was sacrifice. True worship was giving God that which cost us something. We have not really worshiped until we have come to grips with that concept. So David reared an altar on that threshing floor that he bought from Ornan. And the sacrifice was offered to God. And the scripture says that fire fell from heaven and consumed it. And God was pleased. It is interesting as you study this. That this place where the sacrifice was offered was a very special place. I say this without pride, but just as a point, lazy Bible students wouldn't know this because it's not here. I want to show you something very interesting. Turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles 3 and the first verse, Second Chronicles chapter 3. I just want you to notice this little tidbit of information that gives great importance to this record that we have just read. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Did you know that? Did you know that the temple was built on Mount Moriah on the very spot where David reared this altar to the Lord after his sin in numbering the people where he had purchased the threshing floor out of sacrificial giving to this man? By the way, do you know what else happened on Mount Moriah? It was on that mountain that Abraham offered his son, his only son Isaac, unto the Lord in sacrifice at that very same place on that very same spot. Always, Mount Moriah is the place where the price was paid to the uttermost. Now, that's the story of First Chronicles 21. And I'm always pressured and plagued and frustrated that I have so few moments. But these 30 verses contain so much. And I hope you have a general idea of what happened and what David did and how God responded. Because... All of that is helpful as we make these three pertinent applications to our own lives. Just three simple things that God wants us to learn from our study. Number one, I am overwhelmed as I read this passage of scripture at the insignificance of age where sin is concerned. If we are honest men and women, in the back of our minds we have this notion that as we get older, it's going to be easier to serve God. After all, heaven will be nearer. We will have learned all of the hard lessons. We will have given up our false ambitions and have generally settled down to a quiet, stable walk with the Lord. Not so. Not so. <laughs> Here is David in the twilight of his career, having been through all of the difficult learning experiences, having accomplished more than most men would ever dare to dream of in his lifetime, having been through all of the terrible things that God had used to teach him obedience, having lived a full life with the Lord. Here is that David in his closing years, yielding to the fleshly desire to take credit for that which God alone had done. And it was almost the undoing of everything his life had stood for. I think of his son Solomon, who at the age of 62 was chasing 1,000 women. Here is the wisest man who ever lived trying to keep 1,000 women happy. 
And the Bible says that he died in the midst of his defilement because of his insatiable appetite for wealth and his cravings for women. At the age of 62, after all the greatness of his life, he died a disappointed, tired old man who in the latter years of his reign destroyed the testimony of all that God had done through him. I think most of us ought to pray on our knees every day, oh God, preserve me from that. And some of us, as we look around at our contemporaries and as we grab hold of any hero that we can find, are scared to death to latch onto them too hard because we see the record and we realize it doesn't get easier as you get older. Life is a battle, as someone said a long time ago, we're going to drag our tired feet through the pearly gates, having fought battles to the final day. Don't you set yourself up, men and women, with the idea that when you get to a certain point, your kids are raised and your house is paid off and everything is taken care of, that now you can just sort of set your sails on the good winds of the heavenly harbor and float right in with no difficulty. It won't happen. And I see that in the lives of my parents and the unbelievable pain and difficulty with which they deal and the discouragement. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying to be a realist. There is victory in Jesus Christ, and the golden years can be golden years if we understand we are still on the firing line for God. And I do not find one shred of evidence in the Bible that even comes close to the idea of retirement when it comes to serving God. When we set ourselves up with the idea that we get to age 65 and then we can cut out on the church and cut out on God and cut out on society, we've set ourselves up for a fall. Remember, it was when David was at leisure in the palace that he got into the worst difficulty of his life. Secondly, please note not only the insignificance of age where sin is concerned, but note the impossibility of arrogance where God is concerned. You know what David's problem was, was pride, and pride is an abomination to God. When God wrote his hate list in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, he said, Six things does the Lord hate, seven are an abomination unto him. The first thing on the list, numero uno, number one, a proud look. You know what the Bible says about pride? The Bible says God resists the proud. Just begin to look at all the things God has done for you and start taking credit for them yourself. When you do that, God puts his hands out like this and he says, that's close enough. I resist the proud. And the Bible says pride goes where? Before what? A fall. Do I need to make any application to that in the culture in which you and I presently live? The last thing I want you to note in this text is the importance of attitude when forgiveness is concerned. Once again, we are given the opportunity to see the humbling of the great man David. When he penned his prayer after the ordeal with Uriah and Bathsheba, do you remember what he said? He said, the sacrifices of God thou wilt not despise. And what are those sacrifices? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. And we see David again with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. For no one is too big to be humbled and no one is ever so tall as when he kneels in honest confession before the Lord. As I've listened to the Spirit of God speak this week through this passage, I've, I've thought of something I never thought of before. Do you know that as believers, we live our lives between three mountains? 
Let me just share this with you. It's a visual picture I hope you won't forget. We start in the Christian life at Mount Calvary. We climb up that mountain in the sense of our conviction, and we see our Lord Jesus Christ hanging there on a cross on that mountain outside of Jerusalem. And we bow before him and humbly acknowledge that we are sinners no matter who we are because the road is level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same. And we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, and we become Christians at Mount Calvary. There was another mountain to which Jesus ascended, and there he was transfigured before his disciples in his resurrection body, Mount Hermon. And you know, it isn't long after we're saved that we discover how easy it is for us to try to operate in the energy of the flesh. And we're Christians, and we're saved, we're not going to hell, we're going to heaven, and we know it, and there's an assurance, but we try to live the Christian life, and there's defeat and discouragement, and then somebody tells us that the same power that brought Jesus Christ back from the grave is available to us. We can have his resurrection power. And we climb up Mount Hermon, and we meet the resurrected Lord, and we discover in the filling of the Spirit of God new power in Jesus Christ. I would to God that that was the end of it. But you know what I've been discovering? There's another mountain that God will take us to sooner or later if we truly want to see the fire fall on our ministries, on our lives. He will take us up Mount Moriah, and he will say to us, Tell me that thing that is dearest to you. Tell me that thing you love the most. Tell me that thing that you hang on to when you are willing to let go of all else. And then when you have told me about it, give it to me. Is it any wonder that most Christians are two mountain people? (laughs) And we never get to the third one. We tell ourselves that we have been there when we know we have not. As I speak, your mind has traveled across the tracks of the computer God put in your head, and it has tracked through it all, and it is settled right now on the very thing I'm talking about. And you know what it is. I don't even have to tell you. You know what it is. And you wish I would quit and resign this message to the Lord and go on and sing the hymn because that thing makes you uncomfortable. And you don't want to deal with it. And you don't want God to deal with it. And it's the one thing that's keeping God from blessing you. My friend, you've been up Mount Calvary and you've been up Mount Hermon. I want to ask you today, will you climb up Mount Moriah? And will you deal with that thing God has pointed his finger at today? Well, that's a really important assignment, isn't it? And it's personal. It's different for everyone. Each one has that issue. Each one has that something that they know in their heart that if they dealt with that, they would be far more effective for the Lord. But for reasons maybe they don't even know themselves, they don't do it. Let me ask you to do it. We're coming to the end of this series on David. We're seeing what happened in his life. We're seeing the blessing God poured out upon him. We're seeing what happened when he failed and how he got back on his feet. We're also reminding ourselves that there's in each one of us the greatest potential to do good for God and an awful lot of potential, if we don't follow the Lord, to do damage. What is it in your life that stands in between those two things? Well, we're going to talk some more about that later, but right now I hope you will take the action this message requires. 
We want you to know that before this month is over, if you want to have a copy of the book, The God Shot, you better be getting your request in. Here's how you do that. You send a gift of any size to Turning Point through the mail and ask for your copy of the book when you do so. This book is a really interesting reader. It will help you understand God better than you did before you started. You can read every little reading in 90 seconds. The book is the result of uh, the hard work of Tara Lee Cobble, creator and host of the Bible Recap Podcast. We want you to have this book. It's special. It will add to your value as a believer and make you more effective as you're walking with Christ. But time is running out. Be sure to get your request in today, and don't forget to join us next time when we meet together for the last time in this series on Monday. And we'll see you then. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us. So please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we conclude the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. When a young female assassin was discovered hiding in the palace rooms of Queen Elizabeth I, she begged the queen to extend grace to her. The queen asked, If I extend grace to you, what promises will you make to me? And the young woman replied, Your Majesty, grace extended with conditions is not grace at all. And the queen agreed and extended grace to the assassin with no conditions. 
The assassin was morally defective, but she knew her theology. Grace that is not free is not grace at all. The only thing we have to do is what the young woman did, receive God's grace that is offered. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's grace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.